Welcome to Midsummer and Autumn Methodist Church. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Lovely hymn there that just speaks of that assurance for the believer that Jesus, because he lives, I love that third verse, it always uh, moves me uh, when it says, he lives and grants me daily breath, he lives and I shall conquer death, he lives my mansion to prepare, he lives to bring me safely there. And that's the sort of connection I want to make this morning as we look at these two readings this morning. And I want to take as a text uh, from John chapter 11 verse 25, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The message version of that verse uh, says it like this. You don't have to wait for the end. I am, right now, resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Well, we are coming to the end of the Easter season in the church calendar. Next Thursday is Ascension Day and we move on in the story as Jesus ascends into heaven. And we should be thinking about that next Sunday. And then the following Sunday we should be celebrating Pentecost where we celebrate the gift of God's Holy Spirit. On Easter Sunday, a few weeks ago, we declare the truth of the risen Lord Jesus with that quote from Julian of Norwich, which those of you who were with uh, me on Easter Day will, of course, remember, said, I wonder if you can recall it, Julian of Norwich, who said, in the end, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things will be well. Since then we've looked at how different individuals responded to the news of the resurrection. We've looked at Peter, at Thomas, at those on the road to Emmaus to see what it meant for them and what we can learn from their experience. Today I want to, as it were, round off this series on Easter with looking at a question which hangs over us and is rarely discussed, because to discuss it, we also have to talk about death. The hanging question I want us to look at this morning is, what does resurrection life look for us? What does resurrection life look like for us? Our two readings related to that question. 1 Corinthians 15, the the, the Corinthians had sent a letter to Paul, first of all reporting that some people don't believe in the resurrection. He addresses that in verses 12 to 34. Secondly, asking the question posed in 35 that we had, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? To which Paul replies, interestingly, in verse 36, how foolish. In other words, you've got your thinking wrong. And he goes on to explain why, and we'll look at that in a few moments' time. Then we have this rather personal story in John chapter 11. 
Jesus is at the home of Lazarus and there has been a death in the family. Lazarus has been dead four days and the family were no doubt in grief. At this time, as many of us will know from experience, there are a lot of emotions around. And we can only guess in what tone of voice Martha, Martha speaks to Jesus in verse 21 when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That can be read in so many different tones and ways. It just, we just can't uh, guess uh, what way uh, that would have been said. And it's into that background that Jesus raises the issue we are looking at this morning about that resurrection life. In verse 23, uh, he says, your brother will rise again. In other words, what does resurrection life look like for Lazarus? To this, our text speaks with one of the so-called I am sayings of Jesus, which in the original translation, that I am is um, the equivalent of the I am's in the Old Testament when uh, God says, uh, we, when Moses asks uh, God, you know, and when they say, who says this, who shall I say? And God says, I am. In other words, Yahweh. And Jesus makes a direct link with that. He says, God, the resurrection, the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He claims that divine background. So, having reminded ourselves of these readings, which we should return to in a moment, let's return to that awkward subject, for some embarrassing subject, death, which we must speak about if we are to speak about resurrection. The two subjects are inseparable. It is the one statistic that even the government can't massage or change. One out of one people die. Or as I read uh, some time ago in the political correct days that we now live, one particular hospital, I think it was in America, don't talk anymore about patients dying, but they talk about negative patient output. <laughs> what a strange way uh, to put it. It is true that in our Western uh, society we often feel embarrassed talking about death because it not only means we have to face our own mortality but it also may bring back painful memories of loved ones who have died. We also know that we have no control over death. It is going to happen to each and every one of us. Of course, other societies, other cultures, treat death very differently to what we do in the West. But in our context, for many of us, it is the great unspoken. It is the thing that we don't talk about. It's quite ironic, really, uh, because um, when members of the clergy get together, it often, especially if it's a social event or something like that, it doesn't take us long before we start talking about funerals and funeral stories that we have. But it's very different in society that we don't like talking and we don't like thinking about death. 
So just for a moment, to lighten the air, uh, maybe, um, here are some famous last words that people are purported to have said just before they die. I wonder if you recognise any of these or wonder who uh, has said these. Someone said, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. That was Humphrey Bogart, the actor. Someone says, I am about to, or I am going to, die. Either expression is correct. That was a French grammarian called Dominique Bouhars. This one I love because I love this person's writing. So much to be said. He said, either that wallpaper goes or I do. Those are purported to be the last words of Oscar Wilde. I love this one. Uh, when you know who it is, it explains uh, the words. Who said, leave the shower curtain on the inside of the tub. That was Conrad Hilton, the famous hotelier. Um, I was surprised that this was the last alleged words um, of this person when they said, I'm bored with it all. That allegedly is um, the last words of Winston Churchill before slipping into um, a coma. How about this one? Uh, go on, get out. The last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Apparently, that was Karl Marx. Um, what shall we say? Let's do this one, yes. Uh, sister, you're trying to keep me alive as an old curiosity, but I'm done. I'm finished. I'm going to die. That was apparently George Bernard Shaw speaking to his nurse. I love this humbling uh, one. Um, and again, it's humbling when you know who has said it. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Said by Leonardo da Vinci. Or maybe we share Woody Allen's famous line when he said, I am not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, maybe that's just lightened the air a little bit with us talking about death. So let's move on then to ask this question, what is resurrection life about and how does it affect us? Well, first of all, we need to get rid of many of the folk religion suggestions that somehow heaven is some sort of glorified coffee shop where we are all very nice to each other and we dangle our feet over a cloud looking down on this earth. That sort of thinking would be the equivalent of what Paul admonishes the Corinthians for in chapter 15, verse 36, when he says how foolish you are. Actually, in the last book of the Bible, uh, Revelation gives us a vision of what heaven is like, when it said basically it's a glorified worship centre with lots of singing going on as we praise Jesus for all eternity. So what does this passage from 1 Corinthians tell us? It tells us this about the resurrection life. First of all, verses 36 to 41, just like there are different bodies in the natural world here on earth, 
so there is a different body in heaven. This is really good news for many of us, especially if we don't have a good body self-image. We're not going to look like this in heaven. We're going to have a new body. Secondly, in verses 42 to 44, it gives the comparison between the earthly and heavenly body. The heavenly body will be imperishable. It's going to last for eternity. Whereas the earthly body is perishable. That's why we all die. Verses 45 to 49, the comparison between the earthly body of Adam, the first man, and the heavenly body of Jesus, who takes us into heaven. Then in verses 50 to 53, Paul talks about the change which will happen for us. Now that's really bad news for those of you who perhaps don't like change. You're going to get stuck if you don't like change, if you're not careful. So you better start getting used to change, because if you don't like change, you're really stumped in these verses. Paul says, we shall be changed. We sing that hymn sometimes, don't we, Which where we have those words, change from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place. And then it finishes in this passage by talking about the victory over physical death that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A great affirmation there of faith. So we need to rethink our understanding of what heaven is like not only in terms of what we're going to be in appearance, but also where heaven is and all of that. And we need to get rid of some of this folk religion suggestions about heaven. We need to look to the scriptures to find our image and understanding of heaven, rather than some old wives' tales. The other thing we need to rethink is our concept of resurrection. We tend to think of this happening either when we die or when Jesus returns. This was Martha's thinking in verse 24. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. To which Jesus replies, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, Jesus is saying, no, you've got that wrong. Uh, that there will be something that happens up then we shall be changed. But resurrection life begins now. That's why that translation from the message is really helpful. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and the life. Jesus talks about being the resurrection and the life. The two are inseparable. He was claiming to be the source of both. There is no resurrection apart from Christ and there is no eternal life apart from Christ. This I am saying is the culmination of the unfolding revelation in the preceding chapters. 
Jesus has been the, uh, depicted as the giver of life in a number of ways. He's turned water into wine. He's offered new life to Nicodemus and to the woman at the well. He gives life to a dying boy, to a paralytic and a man born blind. In chapter 10, verse 10, as part of the Good Shepherd discourse, he says that as the Good Shepherd, he has come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus offers this eternal life, which is not just what happens when we die. This begins now in our lives. That classic verse from John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not die but have everlasting life. Jesus isn't just talking about what happens when we die. He's talking about when somebody believes in him. It's now when we come to faith that resurrection life begins. That's what Jesus is offering to Martha. He's asking her to totally rethink what she understands. This involves a radical rethinking which Jesus asks Martha and he's asking us to do. Resurrection is not just something about that's going to happen in the distant future. It's something that can happen now it's how we think now. It's how we act now as Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And Jesus goes on to prove that in this particular instance by bringing Lazarus back to life. It's in the here and now. To believe in Jesus, verse 25, the one who believes in me, means that death has been defeated. That's the message of Easter Sunday. True, there will be a moment of physical disillusion, verse 25 again, even though they die, in other words, physically. But that will not kill everything about us. 4, verse 26, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. The Christian gospel offers incredible hope of physical death, just as Easter Day does. And we maybe echo the words of Billy Graham as he reflected on his own death, as reported by his grandson. He said this, This is what my grandfather has said concerning his own death. He said, One day you will hear that Billy Graham has died. He said, Don't believe it. On that day, I will be more alive than I ever will be. And that's the truth. And that's why he preaches, because this life is only the setup for the life to come. So, in conclusion, let's return to our hanging question What does resurrection life look for us? Well, I want us to reflect on two things and be challenged by two things. First of all, verse 26 ends with the question, do you believe this? The issue is belief. Do you believe this? 
One of my saddest moments in ministry is following a ceremony at the crematorium that has been a non-religious ceremony. It might have been for a humanist or an atheist or, or whatever it is. They have particularly asked not for it to be a religious ceremony. And I have to say I listen in on such ceremonies and there is no belief, no hope. It just, as it were, puts a great full stop to life. And it's such a sadness when I reflect on the hope and the joy which Christian faith can bring. Belief in Jesus as the res resurrection of life changes all of that. And although, rightly, we still mourn the loss of a loved one, Christian belief gives us hope and joy that will come again in time. That's why that hymn is lovely. I know that my Redeemer lives. What joy the blessed assurance gives. The issue is belief. Do you believe this? Secondly, does resurrection life begin now for us? That's what the Christian gospel offers. To use again that message translation uh, that we heard a few moments ago. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me even though he or she dies will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Does resurrection life begin now for us? One of my great heroes in the Methodist history is Donald Soper, Lord Soper, as many will remember him. I never actually got to hear him, which is one of my great disappointments. But every Sunday afternoon, he used to stand on his soapbox, soapbox on the corner of um, Hyde Park, uh, along with many other people who were speaking in, in Speaker's Corner. Uh, and one day, as often happened, he had a heckler about what he was uh, saying. Uh, and this person uh, said to him and heckled him and said, Oh, Christianity, it's just pie in the sky when you die. To which, quick as a flash, Lord Soper responded to this person, No, sir, it's not pie in the sky when you die. It's ham where you am. Christianity is not just about what happens when we die. It's about what happens now. Resurrection life can start now. It's about living out the kingdom of God wherever we are, bringing hope and joy to others, especially as we reflect on and talk about death. I wonder when you're comforting somebody who has lost a loved one, how your Christian faith is reflected, how your belief in resurrection is reflected in those words. How we view our own physical death can be transformed now so that we do not fear it because resurrection life has already begun for us. The very last words, allegedly, of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, was, The best of all is, God is with us.
That's a wonderful thing to say in terms of resurrection life. Christian belief is that when we die, we are eternally united with our Saviour Jesus. I wonder if you're looking forward to that. I am. It's going to be a great moment where we can see him face to face in all his glory, all his power. But for now, we can begin to live in that resurrection life and see glimpses of our wonderful Saviour. And in response to that, we worship. And so to go back to Easter Day, that quote from Julian of Norwich. In the end, all shall be well. And all we all shall be well, and all manner of things will be well, begins now for those who believe. And it is offered to you this morning. Jesus stands before you and me this morning, just like he stood before Martha. He declares to us, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. To which Jesus says to you and me this morning, Do you believe this? Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the joy and the assurance which Jesus gives as the one risen from the dead. And we pray that through faith in you, we may live that resurrection life now. It affects how we understand and respond to death. That death no longer has a hold upon us. Yes, we shall physically die, but we shall not die in every part. For our lives will become imperishable, heavenly, when we shall live with you forever. And so we thank you for that glorious hope, that glorious truth. For those of us who have expressed our belief in you, we pray that as we begin this week, we might live out that resurrection life through hope and through joy. For those of us listening this morning, perhaps this is the first time we've heard of this joy and this hope. We pray that as we respond to that question, do you believe this? We might discover that joy and that hope. For we thank you, O God, for the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name.